Welcome to the Coaches Area Podcast, everybody, hosted by me, Ross Flintoft. It's in association with Tackle Thinker, where the listeners will be able to have full access, all areas, to coaches talking about the beautiful game. Today or tonight, uh, where I am today, where Michael is, I have Michael Starber. How, how are you, Michael? I'm doing well. How you doing, Ross? Good stuff. Good stuff. Great. Fantastic. Bit, it's dark here, and I can see via the um, the, the the Google Meet call I'm on now. It's 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 light over there. It's like is it's the afternoon over there? Yeah, it's eleven a.m. Eleven a.m. Oh, yeah. brilliant! Morning to after afternoon. Um, okay, yeah. then we'll just kick things off. Um, what does football or football coaching mean to you? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess. Uh, I mean, for me, it's kind of changed over time, you know, from being a player to not being a coach. But, you know, I guess I kind of just have a new role now. I just, uh, instead of being able to play, I have to coach. I don't have to, I get to, I guess. Uh, but I guess just my uh, coaching football to me is just helping grow the game, helping try to uh, help coaches. It's kind of what I, it means to me now. Brilliant, brilliant. What's your coaching journey to date? So from when you very first started to now sitting mm-hmm. on the pod with, with me? Yeah, so I started. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I started uh, right out of high school. Uh, I was asked to coach the the frost off team at my high school, which is kind of like the, the the lowest level of high school there. So that's how I started. It was kind of a, a blessing and a curse because my team won the league the first year. So I guess in the upside, uh, I kind of got the bug to coach. But the downside is, I think I, I think I thought I knew what I was doing. So I think that kind of set me back a little bit there at the beginning. Um, but then I slowly moved up to coach the varsity team. Uh, and then uh, started coaching club here in the U.S. Uh, started taking coaching. When you coach club, you have to have licensing. So I started getting my coaching education badges. Uh, started, uh, I met my early mentor in my coaching career at that point. He was teaching the coaching education courses. Uh, he invited me to coach with him at the college he was at. So that was a, I mean, unbelievable experience for me, especially that early in my coaching career, because one, I, I, he was, he's so great at what he does. And two, I get to work right alongside him. And uh, it's a great period. My whole my whole role at that college was basically to scout. So I would go watch teams play. I'd write up reports. Then I'd sit down with the head coach. We'd go over it. We'd say, what are we going to do? Uh, kind of come up with a plan for not just the game, but for the week. Like, how are we going to train? And uh, so it's just invaluable time. I think that's kind of what's kind of got my tactical side really going, really kind of got me the bug for that. Um, then I, I eventually became a head coach at the college. Uh, around the same time, I started coaching with the LA Galaxy, the Youth Academy, and I was there for a few years. Uh, it's a great experience, but I got to also learn kind of, you know, the professional side of things in terms of, you know, my the academy director was fired, therefore they reshuffled the whole thing. I got reoffered to do basically an assistant coach of the job I was already head coach for. You know, my young ego said no. So, but it was kind of a first step in like understanding that that world, you know, what that would be like if I pursued that. So. From there, I kind of became uh, director of coaches for a few clubs. Um, around around that time, I kind of started to feel like, I you know, I got into coaching to coach, and I was starting to feel like I wasn't coaching anymore. I felt like I was doing admin and I was doing everything but coaching. So kind of made a conscious choice around that period to get back into coaching and step away from admin um, because I was doing what I loved. So uh, went into what they called, uh, U.S. Soccer had what they called the Developmental Academy, which is U.S. Soccer kind of ran the the highest level of, of youth soccer here. 
And uh, once uh, I did that for a few years, fantastic environment, great resources, um, great competition. And uh, the club I did was very professional and great to be a part of. Uh, then the DA, uh, the COVID happened, uh, which kind of shut us down. Then the DA folded, the development academy folded. So I'm still at the same club, but now it's currently called ECNL. It's kind of what it's called now. Brilliant. And that kind of brings me to where I am today, yeah. Brilliant. Um, could you tell us, well, as well as the, 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 the listeners, about the tactical periodization? What is it, and how do you and your fellow coaches use it within your game models or their game models at your at mm-hmm. your club? Yeah, um, yeah, I've heard it described, you know, quite a few ways. Sometimes incredibly scientific, which almost makes you feel like you don't want to do it. Uh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah much more layman's terms, I guess. Uh, I kind of describe it as sort of just a holistic approach, like a method to coaching, trying to incorporate all four components of training at the same time. So, you know, tactical, physical, technical, psychological, just combining them into everything. So rather than, you know, compartmentalizing everything, trying to do everything at once. Uh, so it kind of gives you a framework to structure your micro and your, your macro cycles from um, and also like to incorporate your game model into, into everything all at once. So, you know, for example, like say, say you were going to do, you know, first you want to do a warm up, and then you were going to do fitness and this is a, a session plan. And then you were going to do technical work and then you could do tactic work. So instead of chopping them all up like that, it kind of allows you to combine each element into each exercise and into each session and, and build it over time. So that's kind of how I would explain it. So the way you would like apply it to like a game model would be if you break down you break down your game model into principles so you know example of a principle would be like um you know overlapping fullbacks to penetrate that could be a, a, one of your game model principles uh then you break your principles into sub principles so you would say you know for for the overlapping example you know how to maybe the winger coming inside to create space for the fullback to overlap that would be a sub principle then you break it down even further and hit what they call sub sub principles so you know an example of that could be the timing of the movement of the winger to create space or the, the the technique or the quality of the cross, the delivery of the cross and the overlapping. So that's kind of helping you build out your game model. And then that now incorporates into the tactical periodization in terms of uh, when you should be working on what, I guess is how I would say it. Those tactical principles based on the physical load and all that stuff. So hopefully, hopefully that made sense there. Yeah, definitely. What do you, what do your weekly training sessions look like um, on a daily basis and, and, and how do you approach session design and what factors do you think of first when you're doing that? Yeah, I'd say, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's a, it sounds like a really easy question. But it's a pretty complex one, right? Yeah. Um, the first, the first is, is uh, where we are in our micro cycle. So uh, for example, that's like the first thing I consider. Uh, so for example, when, when was our last game, when do we train last? When do we train next? When is our next game? Uh, that's the first thing I would consider because that kind of tells you the physical and kind of the psychological load that you're going to need uh, to incorporate into your session. Uh, the next thing I would consider is your curriculum. You know, if you have your own curriculum, which if you do, God bless you. If you don't, you know, hopefully your club has one. Um, and that will kind of give you an idea of what, uh, you know, what you want to work on today or what you should be working on today, I should say, or this week. So like to give you an example of what, like what I would do, uh, say say it's Monday, say we just played on Saturday, so we have a session today. So uh, since we played two days ago, we're still in recovery. Uh, so it should be, you know, it should be a light session, should be low speed running, longer rest periods, 
small to, to medium group sizes for the most part. Um, and then like the topic itself should not be too advanced. It shouldn't be too complex because they're still, you know, mentally recovering from the game. So that would be like the next thing I would look at. Then I would look at um, the curriculum. So for example, the club I'm at, I know there's a thousand things to go into your curriculum, but our club really dictates uh, what to work on when based on the age group. So for example, our club does attacking, uh, defending, transition, you know, to attack, transition, defend. And, but we work through the zones when we do it. So we would say this week we're attacking in zone one. And then next week we are transitioning to defend in zone one. And then we're defending in zone one. And then we're transitioning to attack in zone one. And then we move to zone two. And you kind of work your way through the blocks like that. So a lot of criticisms of it by people, but uh, at least it gives us a framework to work in, which is all we really need. Um, so, you know, if I take the example of uh, we're working in attacking in zone one, so now I know the, I need to like figure out the overall topic, I guess you'd say, uh, for that. Cause I mean, for me personally, like saying, saying attacking in zone one, that's not a topic. That's a, it's a phase. So the way I kind of determine what my topic will be for the week based on the curriculum would say, I'll try to look at, I mean, ideal world when I was in the development academy, other teams would upload their film. Everybody had to upload their film. So I had access. I know if you're in a professional environment, you can find film and Y scout and all the stuff for pretty much everybody you're going to play. Um, so I deal with the starting place for me would be, I'd look at their film. Uh, if you really can break it down, you know, hopefully say I play four, three, three, and they play three, five, two, hopefully I can find a time they played somebody in a four, three, three. Um, but try to look at that and then I'll kind of use that with the overlay of our topic for the week. So if I'm saying attacking in zone one, I'll try to focus more on, uh, how they press in zone three, how they defend in zone three. So it'll give me an idea of what we might be coming up with this weekend. Um, then from there, I'll look at our film from the last couple of games. I'll say, you know, based on the curriculum attacking zone one, maybe what are some things we struggled with? What are some things we did well? What do I want to highlight for the week? And then the goal is through that to sort of merge the two into a topic. So the goal is to say, let's say they pressed in zone three, they forced play wide. Let's say last game I struggled. We struggled when teams forced us wide. We struggled how to break that press. So that will now become my topic for the week. Um, although that's still a fairly... For me, a fairly general topic, even if, you know, just saying, you know, what to do when a team forces you wide, you could even get more specific, like how do we, like what's the goal we want to accomplish? So something I might say is like, you know, uh, you know, how do we move the nine to one side of the field so that we can carry forward with the center back on the other side of the field? So that, that would be a topic for me for the week. So now once I've got the topic for the week, we're talking about Monday. Uh, for me, that's too advanced and too big of a topic for a recovery session because recovery, like I said, should be small spaces, should be lower numbers, less of a physical load. So I'd probably break that from the principle into a sub-principle or even a sub-sub-principle, probably a sub-principle from that you know, standard there. Um, <clears throat> so you know, you, you could say, what's the initial focus that I want to do there? Maybe we just want to focus on the goalkeeper and the center backs dealing with the nine. That could be like a, something you could do in like a recovery day. Uh, it's much smaller groups, much less numbers. Obviously, you've got the whole team to deal with, right? So that really depends on your resources. Do I have assistant coaches? What are they going to work on? Um, if not, you kind of just replicate the same, uh, that same 4v1 like you could do with that, right? Do, do you goalkeeper, two center backs, maybe a neutral on top of the box with a nine. You know, that's you can start with a rondo, for example, right? Um, but then you can replicate that rondo with other groups until so, you get the, all the players, you know, participating. But the main focus of the session would be that. So they're all getting the same coaching points. Um, so that's how you can kind of start. Obviously you want to, you know, a four V one could be a pretty big physical load if you don't do it right. So you really got to think about your timings, right? So, uh, 
maybe cut it down to 30 seconds, 30 second increments, maybe do like six of them, something like that. So then you could maybe expand it for the next phase. You add some fullbacks, you add some center mids, add some more defenders. Uh, maybe you give some small goals for the focus team to attack to, um, you know, that's kind of like a phase two uh, in the physical load, like still fitting in with the tactical. Then you can expand it further, maybe 6v6, six 7v7, six, seven seven. Uh, same topic, same ideas, uh, and then end with a game. So for me, like, I try to end every session I do with a game, uh, at least 15, 20 minutes every time, sometimes 30 minutes. Um, and I try to do it with no rules, try to do it with no, just letting them play and really not stopping it very often, uh, if at all, and trying to coach just between the moments or when, when they're getting a break for water or whatever, give little thoughts. But if I feel like if you stop the game consistently, you're really, they're not learning. They're just trying to do what you want them to do so they can get through the day, really. You'd much rather see them do it on their own. Um, you can guide them, but I, that's just kind of how I would do it. But So if you think about like that session now, like it's when you plan it, you have to plan each phase based on the numbers you have, based on the physical load, based on the mental load, based on your topic. And so now every exercise now has got that element in it. So instead of just having, we didn't just say, okay, we're going to warm up. Now we need to get some kind of physical. Let's go run a mile. Now we need some kind of technical. Let's juggle. Now we need some kind of tactical. Let's do some sort of breakout game. Instead of doing your session like that, every exercise has got every component in it. And they're really getting those sort of subtopics. So uh, I've talked to a lot of coaches in the past. They, they, lots of them think it sounds like overkill. But at least for me personally, I tend to find that the, the transfer, as we say, so the, the ability to take it from the training to the game, is much better when you break it down in sub-principles and sub-sub-principles. And for me, when you have just one topic for the week as opposed to, you know, attacking in zone one, if I said, we'll do this today and then tomorrow we'll do this and the next day we'll do that, for me, there's not as much transfer. But I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. That's just the way I do it. Yeah, definitely. As long as you get from, you know, A to B and however you do that is is, is up to you as a coach, right. you know what I mean? As long as you can get the players from A to B, in transferring that uh, information and knowledge from that situation from A to B um, and anything between that is up to you, really, as long as... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I say it all the time. Like, there's no... Everybody thinks there's some magic formula, and that's what everybody's like, on, yeah. online for, looking for some magic formula. But, I mean, I almost coach every team differently because every team has different... They have different psychological makes up, different culture. So, yeah, I, that's one of my biggest pet peeves when coaches say, oh, you're doing it wrong. You know, I, I hate that. Because one, quite a few years ago now, and um, I don't know if if you've heard, but he's actually been on the pod, Bert Jan Hegemans, uh, the 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 Dutchman who I got to know really well um, when I had my mm-hmm. time at Brandon United Football Club, a semi-pro club at um, in England. He uh-huh. said, he said, uh, do you know what the secret is? Do you know what the football secret is? And I was expect well, I, I did say no, and I was expecting something like unbelievably simple yeah, or, or unbelievably hard. And he said, you know what the sim- do you know do you know what the secret is in football? I said, no. What what's the secret in football? He said, there's no secret. You can do it any way <laughs> you want, any. At any speed you want, whatever. So people who come up and tell people like yourselves are doing it wrong, then they must be doing it wrong. Because if you're doing it wrong, they must be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. Sorry, I, I digress. I'm I'm going off on a tangent. No, no, that's like true. I, like, like I always do on the pod. To be fair, uh, <laughs> do you use a view camera? If so, 
how do you um how do you show your analysis to your team or 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 when do you do that so um what happens on a match day could you run us through um through a typical match day from turning up to um going going home late so probably that's two questions in one actually do you mm-hmm. have a view so if if you do what do you do with the analysis and what does a match day look like from you turning up i don't know an hour and a half before the players come an hour before the players come whatever mm-hmm. to to go home what is what is that but we'll start with the view first um do you have the view or and and do you do the analysis with your team and, and when do you do the analysis with your team is that straight after a game or is that obviously before the game in you're watching that team play another team with your with your own team looking on and you're kind of describing what does that player do what does he do what does she do whatever team you're coaching with yeah we do we do video we do video work um i'll be honest i stopped doing big team kind of film stuff a while ago it's not that i don't see value in it i just for me the roi just the, the return on investment on video with groups just hasn't been you know, I don't want to spend three hours editing a video, chopping it down to make it where it's good enough for the team and then see enough value transfer to the game for me for it to keep going. I'm sure coaches do it much better than I do, and I'm sure coaches find much more value than I do. But for me personally, I just don't do it. Um, but we do use the video for sure. We use it for um, – I send clips out sometimes, uh, which, you know, your next question you, you asked, I'll, I'll probably talk about it there. But, um, you know, but also we use it for uh, KPIs. So, for example um, – Say we sit down with the player, we say, uh, here's something we want you to improve, or they say this is something they'd like to improve on. We can use that for, to help them find their own benchmarks. So, you know, for us, it's very important to find, uh, you know, quanti- we want to quantify value. We, do, it's very, we don't want to just say, you know, him come in and say, I want to get better at my 1v1 tools, or we tell them we want them to get better on their 1v1 tools and say, okay, great. And then a year later, you know, how am I supposed to say they're better or not? So what we try to do is they can use the video. We say, okay, well, a part of their, you know, their, KPI dashboard will tell them, go back and look at your, uh, look at the last five games. And I want you to find every time you did a 1v1, and I want you to notch whether you were successful or unsuccessful. And then we'll go forward and maybe six months from now, we'll do it again. Take your next last five games and how were we? And at least it's not perfect, but it's at least where you can try to quantify uh, the, the video work and they can try to, you know, find something out there. You don't want them to turn more with the ball. Okay, give me how many times did you? Turn with the ball, how many times did you play the way you faced or whatever it is, you know, you can try to find those moments. That's one good use for, at least for video work. It's obviously very extensive, but, um, you know, for me, yeah, the, for games break it, I'll use it myself, but for, with the team, uh, I think it's just, there's so few players that really transfer that to games that for me, the time is just not worth it. But yeah, so that's, that's how we use video. Brilliant. What what happens on a match day then? So could you run us through a typical match day from turning up early to potentially going mm-hmm. home late? And that's probably the same for a training session as well, where you turn up, you know, right. maybe half an hour before training session, set everything up, and then once all the players have gone, you're collecting the stuff in, you're still trying to talk to your assistant coach, you're probably reflecting on the session, what worked, what didn't, what needs to happen next time, what players work well in the session, what didn't, and, and all those type of mm. factors that affect, you know, match day, training day. So what is what's a oh, typical sure. what is a typical match day, training day from turn up early to going home late? 
Yeah, and I think like you hit on it pretty good too. Being there early is such a huge thing for me. Um, you know, training sessions, I could be there up to an hour early. Uh, games, I'm there probably hour 15 early. Um, it's important, I think, to be there before they show up. Obviously, if some kid wants to get there an hour before practice, I'm not going to compete with them. But yeah. uh, being there early, have everything out, have everything set up kind of to the best of your ability. Obviously, sometimes you're getting on a field after somebody and you got to wait. But you know, at least you're, you know, my cones are lined up, my bibs are stacked, my, you know, I've got the goal set up or whatever it is I've got to use um, as much as you can. Because I know as a player, when you show up and you see that when you first walk up to the field, it just gives that professional element, gives that, you know, you're not just showing up to some ragtag throwing together a session. Like you can tell somebody's got a plan, they, they know what they want to do. And then slowly it builds a culture. The kids will start arriving earlier. They'll start getting their stuff on earlier. So like a game day, for example, right? I try to get there an hour and 15 before because the players were asked to be there an hour before. Um, I try to get my stuff out. Not a ton to set up for a game day, obviously, but I try to get my stuff out. Uh, then as they show up, uh, I'll, I'll greet them, shake their hand, say hi. Um, those are really important moments for me. I like to try to get with as many players as possible, just a quick little 30 seconds, 45 seconds with them. How's not, nothing about the game. How's life? How's your brother? How's this going? How you feel? Um, those little moments kind of, you know, stack up over time, I feel like, create a, create a good bond between you and the player. Uh, usually about... Uh, 35 minutes before a game, uh, I'll I'll write the lineup on the board. I've got a dry race board, this massive. I had an, I had one that I liked the size, and another coach broke it. So I've got this massive dry race board now. But I'll write the lineup on the board. Um, I'll put it out where everybody can see. Uh, I know some coaches, they'll give the lineup right before a game starts. But for me, I know as a player, I didn't like that. I didn't want to be in suspense, whether I'm starting or not starting. And you can really, I mean, you know, you say I want to play a kid a different position, and he finds out 30 seconds before a match. That's a, that's not a good thing. You want them to have a second to, to digest it, maybe ask you a question. So I'll put it out probably 35 minutes before we start. Um, I don't run the warm up. I it's, I have a player led warm up. I, I can totally appreciate the coach wanting to run the warm up. Um, the the genesis for that for me was really just you know there's too many things that could happen before a match. I got to go talk to a ref. The the net could be broken. The I, I'm missing a player card. I somebody needs to talk to me. It could be anything, but. I just feel like if your warm-up is only as good as attentive as you're able to be, then you're really just leaving it up to chance how good the warm-up is. So uh, I'd much rather the team lead it, know what they want. I obviously give them a format that I'd like them to do. If I'm always telling, especially the captain, say, do you not like something? Do you want to do something different? Uh, then I kind of let them do the warm-up themselves. Uh, one thing I do do, because the biggest criticism that's usually, and it's true, kids do dog the warm-up if you're not stood right on top of them. But, hey, that's kind of part of it, right? You want them to learn how to do it on their own. But uh, what I'll do is I'll I'll cross a kid's name out that was starting and write somebody else's name in. Uh, and when they come back from the warm-up, say, oh, by the way, starting lineup's different because the warm-up wasn't there, wasn't it standard. Uh, and you do that a couple times, and you'll find the warm-ups go pretty well. You don't have to stand right on top of them anymore. Uh, but I try to do that probably every third match. I try to at least try to find somebody that's not putting it all in there. But I think if you do that, keep the standards fine. Um eight minutes before a game, around eight minutes, seven, eight minutes, uh, we do some sprints, we get some water. Uh, I'll give kind of like a last minute instructions, you know, hopefully I remind them of the topic that we worked on for the week and, and what we're hoping to see. Uh, at that point, uh, the match starts. Uh, I take notes in my fancy match day planner that I got from you. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, it's been great. So yeah, I've got, I got two of them right now. I'm already more than halfway through one of them. So um, yeah, I'll write, I'll write. Typically I've already written our lineup in based on what I wrote on the dry race board, but sometimes I do it from plan on crossing somebody's name out. I don't do it till the match starts. Uh, but I'll write our lineup in the match day planner. Um, and then the first five minutes of the game, I'll try to get their lineup. Uh, so I'll try to write their numbers over our numbers or our names, I guess. 
so one, I can kind of see the formations there um, laid out, but I also I'll put it on my massive magnet board. I'll put I'll put the magnets in the shape that we're playing, magnets in the shape that they're playing, and I'll kind of just put it in a place where I can see it, but also in a place where the kids on the bench can see it. Um, I've just found there's times where I'm watching the game and I can't, I'm like, what is happening here? Uh, if I just look at the magnet board for a minute in the shape, I'm like, ah, that might be what's going on here. But um, so that's usually like the first five minutes of a game. Uh, so, I mean, there's, <laughs> if something goes wrong in the first five minutes, there's a good chance I didn't even see it. I'm just looking at the, trying to get that lineup down. Uh, sometimes I'll literally hand the match eight planets one of the kids on the bench. I need you to get their lineup, but they've been wrong so many times. I got sick of doing that. Uh, then uh, after that, the next, you know, 15 minutes or so, I try not to to write anything. I try to just watch the game. Um, really want to try to get a feel for the flow of the game, what's going on. Are there any tendencies, anything I need to worry about? Uh, but without quick rushing and judgment, because something can happen once in the first six, seven minutes, and you can think, oh, this is something huge, and then it doesn't happen again. Uh, so I really want to see something happen a couple times or really get a good feel for what's going on before I start taking any notes. So usually about halfway through the first half, I'll kind of start taking, uh, start writing some things down. So you know, we need to step in with our nine. Uh, we need to, sorry about that, I got a lot of you there. We need to step in with our nine. Maybe we're having problems with this or about that. I'll start to write notes down. And when I write the note down, I'll write the exact minute that it happened. So for example, I could say 13 minutes, 28 seconds, this happened and I'll write it right there. Um, I'll do that through the first half, throughout the first half. Uh, you should get like five or six. Uh, sometimes I just get one, who knows, but you know, five, six, somewhere around that range is the goal. Uh, then with like five minutes left in the half, I'll kind of look at the notepad. I'll look at the magnet board. I'll just kind of pick what are my top two or three that from the first half. Two is great. Three, if you need to. Um, and then hopefully it would be great, which almost never happens. Is that it's, it focuses around the top that you did that week, but you know, Topic doesn't always come out every weekend. No. Um, and uh, then we'll get to halftime. Um, I'm not a big, you know, run off the field kind of guy. I think they just had a 30 minute warm up. They just had a 45 minute half. They've been going for an hour and 15 minutes. They can use a couple minutes of themselves. Walk off the field, take a mental break. I give them three, four minutes to themselves without even talking to them. Um, then once I feel like they've settled in, it gets a little quieter. I'll take my chair. I'll put it in front of the bench. I'll get my big magnet board out and I'll kind of talk them through the two or three things that I came up with. Um, in an ideal world, I'd like to get feedback. I'd like to have them input on how they want to solve the problem. You know, but as I know, you know, like if I've got 10, 15 minutes for a halftime and we open up two or three items for discussion, you're probably not going to get through three items. So no. really depending on how I think it's going to go is whether I'm going to let them talk or not. I know it sounds bad, but I might, I might need to rush to get through these three points. Um, uh, but yeah, like ideal world, I love them to contribute. Um, so I'll go through those, give some suggestions, what we might be able to do. And then ideally, I give them four minutes before the half starts back up to themselves. So they can, again, take a second, maybe think about what I said, maybe come up to me, ask me a question about what I said. I can pull a kid aside, tell them, hey, by the way, this is something different for you. So on those five, six notes, if one of them is specific to one kid, you know, you don't need to spend the whole time with the whole team talking about that. Those are things you can take the kids aside and say, hey, look, this is something I noticed. Maybe watch for this. Um, but ideally, they get three, four minutes before they go back out there, too, themselves. And then uh, right before we go back out, uh, bring them back in, quick 30-second. Okay, this is what I said. This is what we're going to do. Have we got it? Great. Let's go. Um, and then second half starts. I try to look for the moments that we talked about at halftime. Um, and then I'll write the exact minute and second next to that again on the on the match planner. Uh, next to those exact points. I you know, coach when necessary, obviously. Uh, when the game's up, a quick two, three-minute debrief. Um, 
did what we did worked, did what we do didn't work, uh, how did the topic come out in the day, but really, I mean, that should be quick. I mean, two minutes, that's about as long as I would go after a game, clean up our area, guys go home. Um, and then, you know, for me, however long I've got to stay, whether I'm helping with other teams or, or if I've got another team or whatever it is, uh, then later that night, it could even be the next day, whenever the video is uploaded, I will, um, I'll go and I'll write an email to parents and players. Uh, I mean, it depends on the level, obviously, right? This is a college team. <laughs> I'm not writing an email to their parents, but uh, if this is like a regular club team, I'd write an email. I'd include their parents, I'd include all the players, and I say, you know, one paragraph, how I felt the game went, you know, game went well, boys did great, thought this could have gone better. Then I'll try it. The next thing I'll say, the two or three items we talked about at halftime, uh, and then I'll try to include those clips, say, one thing we noticed we were struggling with was this. Here's a clip of that happening. Another thing we noticed was this. Here's a clip of that happening. And then say, this is what we talked about trying to solve the problem. And then I go, and I'll include the clips from the second half on how it went. It's It sounds like it's great. It sounds like it's going to be perfect. But, I mean, I can't tell you how many times that those moments don't even occur in the second half, uh, either through them changing something, through us changing something or whatever. But when they do, it's fantastic. When you say, let's do this, and then they do it and it works, it's, it's unbelievable. It's such a great moment. But... Either way, I'll send the clips because I want to be transparent. I don't want to act like, oh, I won't include that because we didn't do it right. And say, I'll include it and say, we didn't fix it. So this will, we'll save this as a topic for future, I guess. Um, and it's it takes 15 minutes because I've written those times down in the match planner because I, rather than go through and try to look through film for these moments, that, I mean, that could take you two hours trying to find specific things you wrote down. And to be honest with you, most of them, I can't even find them. The camera angle's different and you're like, uh, you know, it's... So writing those times is key. It takes me 15 minutes to write that email. And those 15 minutes for me are invaluable. The, it keeps the team on the same page. It keeps the parents on the same page. And ironically, uh, parents don't talk that much on, on the sidelines, you know, apart from hopefully being supportive. Because like my, the way, what I feel that is from is I think a lot of the parents, you know, if my son, my son plays water polo, you know, if their coach was sending me this email every week, I'd be like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing way more than I do. So I'm just going to shut my mouth and enjoy the game. Uh, I kind of think that's what happens in my games. I think the parents get these emails and say, okay, I, I'm going to feel stupid if I say something. So I think it keeps them quiet, which is a good thing. But uh, more importantly, I think it keeps everybody on the same page and, and kind of lets them know, hey, we're actually doing something. We're not just rolling the ball out here. Um, I, I, I enjoy that. So that's kind of my start-to-finish hour-long speech on uh, <laughs> game day stuff. Brilliant. Um, what is your favorite book that you've read? Yeah, uh, my favorite Um I've read a few. I've read, I mean, read quite a few. Um, I would say uh, Rhinus Mitchell's, uh, if I even say that right, the Dutch coach. Yeah. Uh, he wrote a book called Team Building. Um, that was, uh, the, especially at the time I read it, one of my favorite books. Um, it just really encompassed the whole thing. Every every book I read to the point was like, here's how to do this, here's how to do that. I just really liked that he really is taking a team from A to B, A to Z, not A to B. <laughs> taking it from A to Z, I thought did a fantastic job. And uh, I, I should probably dig the one out somewhere. Brilliant. Favorite course you've been on? Favorite course. Uh, I, in, in terms of information, I did a tactical periodization course with uh, Raymond Bryan. Um, I also read a couple of his books. They were incredibly informative in terms of uh, periodization. Um, but uh, I would say my favorite was when I took my C license. Uh, I think it was just the right information for me at that time in my coaching career. I was around a good group of coaches. It was great detail. Um, and just stuff I needed to hear at the time. When I did the B, when I did the A, it wasn't. They weren't giving information. They were trying to fail you. So uh, I, I definitely enjoyed the C much more than anything else. 
Brilliant. Favourite session to coach? This could be a quite a broad, a broad kind of question because I'm sure that you've got like loads of sessions that you kind of love coaching as the listeners have and, and, and I've got as well. But can you mm-hmm. nail it down to one specific coaching session that you love coaching? So it could be a possession one, a passing one, a shooting one. Yeah, I mean, the now especially, I don't, I wouldn't say I have a favorite one just because I, you know, when you go through the periodization and try to create these sessions, they're all so different. Uh, I mean, every one is basically written by hand based on how many players I have today and, and what are we working on, all that stuff. So I really don't get to repeat sessions very often. Everyone's kind of written by scratch. But in terms of like favorite exercises and stuff, I definitely have, they kind of, they kind of vary by team, to be honest. So like one team, if, if you get the energy from the kids, just like they get it from you. I'm Like, for example, I remember coaching when I was at the LA Galaxy. Um, we would do this uh, 3v3 game with goalkeepers. It would be just the 18. So goal mouth and a goal right on top of the 18 there. And we'd have six bumpers around the outside, which were really, you know, two other teams of three, really, that were waiting to rotate in. But... I mean, a super tight space, super fast pace, but it was, you know, the energy was through the roof every time we did it. So much of that, we did it basically almost every practice. Every time we could, we would do that exercise. The kids would beg for it. Uh, that I remember one time the U18 coach walked over and said, hey, can you guys do that on the other half? Because my kids won't stop watching your session because the energy was just so high. So, I mean, that's my favorite stuff. I, I, I don't care what we do. If, if I get that kind of response from the players, that's my favorite exercise. You know, I'm all in, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, so it moves around a lot. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you were a manager in the five best leagues in the world, which club would you like to manage and why? <laughs> yeah, like like most Americans, I'm a Manchester United fan. So, uh, but you can't really can't blame me. It's not my fault. Uh, <laughs> when I when I was a kid, I mean, I'm not I'm not crazy old, but I'm 45. But when I was a when I was a kid, there was no TV on, no, no soccer on TV in America. So. Uh, we don't have a league at that point. They, they weren't televised in other leagues. The only thing they would show on TV was the Champions League. So um, the only team I seemed to ever see playing was Manchester United. So I guess that was my introduction to Manchester United. And then later on in life, I uh, lived with my, my best friend was from Manchester. So that kind of cemented it for me. But yeah, that's, I mean, it's not on my radar right now. But if, you know, if somebody's listening and they happen to be affiliated, you know, I'll welcome the phone call. They want to offer me the job. I don't see it happening just yet. No, I I, I think um, Eric Ten Hogs there for a little bit, a little bit while yes, so. but um, you never know what you never know what's around the corner in football. That's a beauty about football. Like you would get a phone call next day, and you could be I don't know, academy manager of the MLS soccer uh, team. Yeah, could be I don't know. Could be yeah, right. in the I Miami, my, whatever. Uh, when, I, when I was doing my Oh, I'm sorry, Ross, I didn't mean to cut you off there. It could have been um, in Miami, you know, David Beckham, seen as though he might listen to this and you think, oh, Man United fan. So you might think, you, you know, you're Man United fan, Beckham played for Manchester United, so you might get you in for the academy manager's job <laughs> in Miami. You don't know, because football's a strange strange world, strange game, funny old game, as really we, is, call yeah. it, we call it in England. Um, so anything could happen around the corner, really. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I remember I was, I was doing, um, I mean, every job I've ever got that are, uh, I mean, at least like when you take a level up, I never applied for them. It was always someone saw me, someone reached out to me. You know, it's every time I've been trying to move up in my career, however you define move up, but uh, it doesn't really happen. But every time I just put my head down and try to do a good job, things just kind of open up. So that's kind of been my, 
my MO ever since then. Yeah. Um little bit new to the pod that I've 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 written written down in, in your questions, Michael. And hopefully mm-hmm. I'll have time to um over the in December and over the new year I can have time to kind of thrash out some ideas about making the to improve the pod, but this is this is one thing. So I ask you um tactical questions. So the first one mm. would be how do you approach the opposition if they play a one three five two and you play a one four three three? Yeah, I mean I won't I won't give you the cheap answer and tell you it depends. <laughs> right? Because uh, you know, the way you play a three five two is different than the way I play a three yeah. five two, it's different than the way you play a four three three and I play. But uh you know, if you look at it just like face value, um you know, one of the things that my teams will always say when I say, what shape are they playing? 3-5-2. Assuming we're in a 4-2-3. Okay, what does that mean? And we'll say we're 1-1 v everywhere. So, you know, if we have, with our back four, they've got two forwards, they've got two wingbacks, we're 1-1. v We've got three center mids, they have three center mids, we're 1-1. v We have three forwards, they have three center backs, we're 1-1. v So anytime you play the 4-2-3, 3-5-2, that's the first thing really I think you kind of notice is, is we're going to be 1-1. v uh, So, you know, one of our big principles are, with our team is trying to create overloads. So obviously you got to figure where, how are we going to create these overloads if we're one v one? So the obvious answer is you got to incorporate the goalkeeper um, as much as possible to try to draw forward to then free a center back to then create these overloads. So that's kind of one of the first things I would, I, you'd kind of got to acknowledge when you're playing those shapes. Um, obviously the converse is true, right? Where you've got to deal with, so how are we going to deal with when they give to their goalkeeper? Because if we go and press with our forward, uh, we freed up a center back if they break that press, and now they create an overload. So, do we want to press the goalkeeper? Do we not want to press the goalkeeper? So, for for that's on face value, that's kind of the biggest things I would focus on between those two shapes. Brilliant, brilliant answer. Um, how do you approach the opposition if they play a one four four two slash one four triple two flat or diamond, and you play a one five three two? Yeah, um, I read uh, Jonathan Wilson's book, The Inverting the Pyramid. It's a great book. It's kind of like uh, the history of tactics. And I think, I'm probably going to totally butcher this and someone's going to call me out, but I think he said the 352 is literally created to combat the 442. Um, and it's because it fits so well. So the, the 352, you, you, I've got an extra center back where they've got two forwards, right? I've got three where they've got two. I've got an extra center mid where they have two, and I've got three. Um, it's a great shape to play, uh, especially attacking-wise, against the 433. Uh, three five two against the four four two. Sorry, um, you know you really get, especially in the early phases where it's so important to to have those overloads. You can, it's kind of naturally built in. You know what you do with that is obviously up to you, and and how they deal with it is up to them. Um, defensively, I guess the problem you really deal with is is it's easier for them to kind of create overloads in wide areas. They've got the two fullbacks. They've got two two wide players. Um, most coaches I've seen try to deal with that with using their wing back and their uh, wide center back. But for me, I think three center backs trying to cover the full width of the field is, is too much. Yeah. Um, so I prefer what well, I did. I had a three, five, two, my team played three, five, two a couple years ago. Um, and the solution we came up with, and again, it's always based on personnel, but the solution we came up with, I basically had a kid that was a center back playing as a six. So we would, uh, with the, whenever the ball would go wide, the six would drop in, become an extra center back. And that gave us the width to be able to, to slide into the wide channels with that, that extra player. But, you know, everybody can find their own way to do it based on the people they have, but, that's really when you just look at the two shapes for me, where you can relate to problems. I've seen that happen to teams a lot. That's more for a flat four four two, I guess. Yeah, if you, yeah. you know, the diamonds create their own problems, the boxes create their own problems, and you know, 
Uh, I, when a team plays a four four two, I, I hopefully can jump into a three five two. Just on that, that just on the second question, if you are playing like a four four two flat and you were talking about overloads and wide areas, see mm. it's coming down your. If they were attacking on their left, so down your right, mm-hmm. would you try to make sure the right of the three in midfield goes across to kind of overload the like a two v one situation? So you've got the wing back, you've got the wide centre back, then you've got the mm-hmm. the 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 right of the three central midfield to go across to um, kind of stop that from happening, or would you just kind of? Just have the wing back and the centre, uh, the right of the three centre halves. What would yeah, you I've done it that way. I mean, I've seen a lot of coaches do that really well, to be honest. And whenever yeah. they do, I'm kind of jealous. I, I don't know what it is. I don't do well with that. But um, having the, the one of the three centre bids, because he's obviously a free player, trying to have him join to help out wide. For me, they as the ball travels out wide, depending, I mean, it depends on the quality of the team you're playing, but if they're assuming yeah. they're, they've got quality. Uh, you leave a player, and even though you can shift, it's very easy to draw it on a magnet board. Oh, well, you'll just go here and you'll just go there. But in the process of that shift, uh, usually they can break your press. I know you still have two center mids, and they still have two center mids. I've just found more success in just uh, keeping the play out there and letting us. I'll use the six either to drop in, like I said earlier, or, yeah. or one of the sixes to shield the nine. That also gives you a lot more security with your center backs being able to drop off instead of having to be so tight. So, yeah, I try not to let the – not very often do I use a center mid to press a wide. It's not, it's not a wrong way to do it. Obviously, just for me personally. Yeah, definitely, great stuff. Um, I know we've kind of touched on, on the coaching curriculum, um, before mm-hmm. there within the tactical periodization and the game models. So just to, just imagine you walked into a new team tomorrow, um, how. And for the listeners as well, it could be a, a parent walking in for a new team or a, or a, either a parent that has a full-time job that would like, you know, to, to coach a football on a, on an evening, weekends, whatever. It really find it fun, enjoyment, like love coaching that way. Or you could be a, a qualified coach and it could be a kind of day job. What could or, or what advice would you do if you were in that situation and you were going into a club the first time, how would you set up your coaching curriculum? So you're saying if I was the, the club or I'm the coach? You're the coach. Mm-hmm. And the club... Yeah, the, the, uh, yeah I mean, I, so I've been fortunate in that I've worked at some great clubs and they all pretty much all have curriculum and pretty well put together curriculum. Um, the ideal world is the club has the curriculum already. You know, the... I've tried hundreds of times to create my own personal curriculum, but yeah. to be honest with you, I mean, this is sound bad. to me, it's almost pointless. Um, every team you're going to work with is different. Every uh, club, wherever you, unless you have your own individual group of 18 kids that you're just going to coach separately and take them through the next 10 years of their life. To me, it's, it's just almost impossible because, you know, when I was at the LA galaxy, the goal there was completely different than the club I'm at now in terms of player development. And so the curriculum is completely different. You know, if, my, if I'm trying to produce one or two pros every year, I'm going to run my sessions a lot different than if my goal is to make sure my kids stay together and have a great time. So, you know, develop an individual one. I can't just take it now and go and apply it to the next team because that team has different goals. They have a different culture. They have different everything. So, you know, that's why I kind of say the, you know, it's kind of like uh, the quote by Juan Malilo. I think uh, somebody posted it the other day in Twitter, but uh, where he says, you know, I've never written a book because every time I get to the end, I've already changed the way I would do it. So 
I, kind of the same way for me. I, I, every time I've ever started trying to do a curriculum, I get partway through and I go, well, that's not how I want to do it anymore. I want to do it like this. So the biggest way, hopefully, you just do what the club tells you to do, um, whether you agree or not. Um, that's the ideal world. If not, I mean, really just try to come up with some very um, basic blocks that you believe and you want uh, based on the age that you're coaching. And which I work backwards, I think is the best way. So you, you start with what's the goal when this kid's 18 years old or 20 years old or whatever, wherever environment you're in, what's the goal? And then how would I break that, work that back to where I am today in terms of what should I do in today to get them to that point when they're then? Otherwise, I find you just kind of work on this wrong stuff. But doing something like that takes so much time. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, Michael, thanks very much for coming on the pod tonight or the morning where <laughs> where where you are today, yeah. Um you could have been doing something else, but you've had about forty, forty five minutes with me and I've thoroughly enjoyed the the chat um on the podcast. Um hopefully the listeners will definitely take lots of stuff from that because I I have as well. Um so yeah. Thanks very much, Michael. Um, good luck. Yeah, Ross, I appreciate um, it. Good luck for um, whenever your next coach or your next match is. And hopefully maybe in the new year, starting new year, um, we could have a part two um, if you if you want to do that because I, I, I would be up for that any any time. Um, bonus points. Yeah, bonus points for mentioning the title thinker. Um, planners and stuff like that. So brilliant. So thanks very much for that. You didn't have to, but that was that was great from you. So yeah, yeah it's funny. I, was, I should actually bring up this. So the other ones I used to use, I used to use Ducktig and all the other ones too. But uh, I do like that it flips the way that it flips for me personally. It's actually become much easier for me to organize it. The other way, I I, I kept going. What what match am I on? What am I doing here? But no, it's been great. So I'm actually I'll have to get another one once you get them in stock. I'll have to get some more. Definitely, they're in stock now, so not a problem. Little little plug on my um podcast. So yeah, great. So brilliant, Michael. Um, like like again, thanks very much for your time. Um, because you could have been doing something with your son or whatever. No, it's great. Could be. Talking soccer is always a great day. Talking football, sorry, yeah, soccer, football, same thing. Do you know what I mean? We're still two teams, still referees, like still least, two goals. Get at least one comment. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So thanks very much. Cool. Thanks, Ross. I appreciate it.